So my question for you this morning is how full of the Spirit are you? How full of the Spirit are you? May seem a little, a little inappropriate based on the mood that we're, we've been had set before us. But when we use the language, how full are we of? My guess is most of us in, in this day and age don't think of that being finished with the Spirit. Right? How full are we of it? When we take, talk about somebody being full of it, we're not usually talking about the Spirit. But this morning, I want to talk about what it means to be filled by the Spirit or to be full of the Spirit. And I'm, I'm not going to go deep just in that subject. I'm going to talk about the application of it this morning. But, but I want us to be thinking about that, kind of letting that question run through our minds. How full are we? How full are we as Christians? How full are we as followers of Jesus? How full are we of the Holy Spirit? In the days long, long, long before Jesus walked the earth, there was a prophecy made by a, a man named Joel. And Joel said these things after, after promising God's restoration to, to God's people. He said that after doing those things, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. It must have been strange to hear that. They were accustomed to having prophets speak to them. They were accustomed to God's spirit being poured out for specific instances, in specific cases or places or on specific people for a purpose, a time. But that was the extent of it. To hear one of God's own telling them, in those days, I will pour out my spirit on all people, even on the servants. What in the world would that look like? Can you imagine never having experienced the indwelling person, the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit, but witnessing the impact? on prophets when God's Spirit would just get a hold of them and they would begin to tell what was going to happen. When they began to, to speak powerfully from God's Word. And then to hear, someday I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all my servants. We've been following the story in Acts the early church, the founding of it, the explosion of the good news, people coming to Christ, people, Jewish people, people who had considered themselves the people of God, people who had been born into that right to be called the people of God, people who had studied, who had lived accordingly, people who had thought of themselves all of their lives as a part of God's people, God's family. Now there was someone on the scene, several someones in fact, telling of a new way, a new 
family, a new, somehow a new and yet a renewed people of God and inviting them to come and telling them, as a matter of fact, not only were they invited to come, but there would be a radical change in them. For Jesus himself had told one of the religious leaders, you remember, John records it, where he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Radical change. And now, now that Jesus has, has been killed and resurrected and ascended and exalted to the right hand of God, his own apostles, his disciples, those closest friends of his are continuing his message and they're telling the same people. Now, there may have been some, some Greeks that have come in. There may be other people that were hearing. But for the most part, the message was going out to God's people. The church in that day. Us. Something radical has to happen. You've got to change. Something radical must happen in you. And people were hearing and believing because of what they were seeing. Seeing signs and wonders that were indicative of God's presence in His work. But also because the Word was being spoken. And God promises us that when His Word is spoken, if we are listening with the right heart, with a desirous heart, desiring to hear from Him, that He'll speak the Word and it will be true and trustworthy. And so they were... They were hearing His Word and it was ringing true in them and many were coming over, including some of the priests. And as the community grew bigger and bigger, some of whom probably were coming to be part of a, not just a new community, but a new family, seeking their support from this new group because the people they had been a part of, their old family, maybe had cast them out. You're going to follow that way. You don't have a place with us anymore. And as that happened and they grew and they grew and they grew you know from chapter 6 we've referred to it the last Sunday or two that the, the believers grew so much that they, they had to start dealing with church issues right administration how do we share all the resources how do we take care of all the needs some of the less fun stuff than the preaching and teaching and miracle working right good old church business and inevitably, as we happen to see all the time with people, whether they're Christian or not, we tend to squabble when we don't have what we need or we think we need. And in this particular case, it was legitimate. There were widows. There were others that were maybe not, I mean, maybe not intentionally, but not getting what they need. And, and so there was an urgent need for this to be addressed. And those early apostles recognized they had a call on their lives. They had a primary calling. Calling to follow Jesus means we wear any hat at any time we need. But a particular calling, maybe you call it a job calling or vocational calling, well that was specific to them and that was that they were to pray and preach and teach the word. And they knew wisely that if they got too caught up in church business, you know, the regular comings and goings, the things you got to do to keep an organization running, they wouldn't be able to fulfill their primary calling. So, how do they resolve it? We've got an example right here in chapter 6 of, of how the early church resolved this issue and is still a great model for us today. 
I'm down in verse 2. So the 12, you know, the original apostles, they called a meeting of all the believers and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. Again, not to mean running a food program is not good. Not to mean that isn't important. It's an important, vital part of the church. The question isn't, is it important or not? The question isn't, is are some people better than? The question is, how are we going to do all that we have to do in the church? And they recognized we need to continue to focus on the preaching and teaching of the Word and our time in prayer. But in order to solve this problem, we can't just dismiss it. We can't just say, well, good luck. Well, go check with somebody else. No, that's our job. That's our responsibility to each other. We've got to take care of the needs. So, these guys said to the whole group, they gathered all the believers together, and they said, select from among yourselves seven men who are well-respected, full of the Spirit, and wisdom. Well-respected, full of the Spirit, and full of wisdom. These were the things that they recognized were needed for this new role and responsibility. And the text goes on to say that they, they liked this idea. And so they chose seven men. Stephen being one of those, Philip being another, and then five additional men that we know very little about. Now, we'll talk more about Stephen at another time. But for today, I want us to focus on this answer, this model, this working solution that these leaders came up with for how to carry on the regular business of the church. How do we not neglect our primary calling, but also take care of the necessary work of the church? It's still a very real question for us in the church today. Have you ever been a part of a church that didn't have squabbles over who was going to take care of all the mundane tasks? <clears throat> yeah, I haven't either. Whether a pastor or not a pastor. They're important tasks, and yet somehow the mundane just isn't as appealing. And I'm guessing that in these conversations you and I've had in the past, well, I know for me, you don't have to guess. I know for me, I'm guessing for you that as you were wondering who was going to handle the responsibilities for making sure the lights are turned on and making sure the bathrooms are clean and making sure we have the supplies in the office that are needed for the workers and so on and so forth, you probably weren't thinking, wow, we need to enter into some serious prayer and dialogue over this. Now, maybe you were. I hope you were. I confess to you that I haven't always thought that. It's not that it wasn't important, but maybe I didn't think of doing those things. I would have thought of those things if I had been responsible for and was one time. The part of the group that gets to select real top leaders in a church. Whoa, man, that's big time. That's, that's serious business. We're, we're hitting our knees. We're going to prayer. You don't just pick somebody that's going to be leading your church on a whim. Didn't take long for me to, to 
figure out in my mind, okay, not only do we need to pray and ask God to guide us, but we need people who are well-respected. I mean, they need to already be well-respected. This is not a great place for training, you know. I mean, we love to do training in church, and everybody needs to have an opportunity to be trained, but now is not the time. These need to be accomplished leaders. They need to have experience, maybe in their, their work outside the church. We need to select men and women who have accomplished records of leading, that are well respected, have a good reputation. I mean, not just in church, not who's kind and who's appropriate and who looks like they're really worshiping all those things in church. I mean, people who are in the comings and goings of life, you know, after Monday through Saturday, people who are respected by everybody they're around. They're well thought of. They have earned the right to be respected by the way they've treated other people, by the way they've carried out the responsibilities, by the way in which they have pursued the goal of the larger organization they were part of for the good of everybody. These are the people you want to select as a leader, right? So we're going to select these people to distribute food. We're going to select these people to, to handle the finances? Well, okay, well, that one maybe. That one gets a little bit more personal and meaningful. But seriously, would we go about that task in the same way that we would go about selecting a top leader of the church or a new pastor? I ask you that question because I think the opportunity is there for us. We've been talking about the kingdom. We've been talking about presenting the kingdom to those outside us. And so my question that I've been wrestling with is what does that look like? I can tell what it looks like in the Bible. What does it look like in real life? How, does, how, does our, how do our actions, how do the ways in which we go about the regular mundane tasks look different? for a person that's a part of the kingdom as a part of somebody that's not. What does that look like? Well, it's a good time to be asking that question, right? Because we're in the process, we're getting very close to electing leaders. I would imagine there are a number of people praying right now. I would imagine there are a lot of people that have been thinking seriously about qualifications. Yeah. And while this is, um, well, let me say it this way. While many of us are not where we'd like to be in the sense that the whole process of electing leaders in our country, many of us feel has gotten way off track. And it's not really so much about leadership anymore as it is about which group of people are going to have the power to make decisions. The responsibility is the same. The responsibility is still, we're looking at electing people that are gonna have immense power and tremendous influence over all of us. And even though you might say, well, it's over thousands, hundreds of thousands, beyond that, and this was just a group of widows. 
I'd invite you to consider this morning that the task is not any different in the way we ought to go about it for those of us who are in the kingdom. Now, we're not electing kingdom leaders as leaders of the United States or leaders of our state or our county. We may hope that they are a part of the kingdom, but we're not electing them as a kingdom work like you would a church leader. We're a secular country. So how do we look different as the kingdom? What statement do we make about the influence of God and Christ and the Spirit in our lives in the way we go about electing our leaders? Well, once again, there's been far too many instances in my experience in church where there's a lot of politicking. There's a lot of, well, who gets along with and who do we like better and who maybe would advocate more for what we want. But the early church had a model that we shouldn't have let go so quickly and we should run to re-embrace. They required that they have good reputations. They're well thought of and highly respected. They are full of the Spirit. And they are full of wisdom. Now the first one is obvious. Why do you need to be of good reputation and respect? Because you're going to expect people to follow you as the leader. You're going to tell them things that we're going to do. You're going to lead them. They're going to follow you. You better have earned their respect. Or they're not going to follow them. We don't do that. And it's maybe easy to understand why full of wisdom. Because after all, you're going to be handling responsibilities that are important. If you're feeding a group of people and you have a limited amount of resources, you better be wise in the way you handle it. Just an example, there's lots of things we can talk about, but I want to spend the majority of our time talking about that second requirement, the one right in the middle. I think it's interesting that it's one right in the middle, the center of the expectations, full of the Spirit. These were not prophets. These were not those people from the Old Testament that would have been special, especially selected to communicate to a whole group of people. These were just men or women that were among, in this case men, that were among the rest of the group. And they were being asked to step forward and handle some of these responsibilities. And yet they were to be full of the Spirit. Now, maybe you need to think back for a minute. Let's kind of walk through what we know of the Spirit so far. Jesus spoke about the Spirit. But before Jesus spoke about it, you need to remember that Jesus actually was prophesied over about the Spirit. In fact, the one who came to announce His coming was to be filled with the Spirit. You remember Luke 1 and 2? In Luke 1, we know of the prophecy that John the Baptist, the forerunner, the herald, the one who would announce Jesus' coming, he was to be filled with the Spirit. Luke 1 tells us. And the Spirit came upon Mary and brought about the conception and birth of Jesus. And then Jesus descended, excuse me, the Spirit descended on Jesus in His baptism. The Spirit was at work all through Jesus' life. We've talked about that a number of times. He led Him into the wilderness. 
Jesus said he was anointed to proclaim the good news. The Spirit was involved in Jesus' ministry from the very beginning. And sometimes it's easy for us, and not necessarily that we would disagree, but it's easy for us, I think, to, to forget, to focus on Jesus and what He was doing and forget the fact that the Spirit was in Him and empowering Him and leading Him in everything He did. The same Spirit who is in the very beginning, in the very beginning, hovering over the waters. Remember? The Spirit's been involved all along. And you say, yeah, okay, we know this. Right? Bring it back home. If the Spirit has been involved from the beginning of creation, from the beginning of time, and when God came Himself in the person of His Son, Jesus, the Spirit was involved in His conception and all the way through His life, And it was prophesied that God would pour out that Spirit on all believers someday. And as a matter of fact, He says, Peter does, in the chapter right before ours in Acts, Acts 5, that the Spirit is given by God to those who obey Him. Anybody, anybody who comes and receives Jesus as their Savior and obeys Him, the Spirit is poured out. All of us. This Spirit. And so I wonder this morning, how full are we of the Holy Spirit? Now you might say, well, Pastor, that doesn't have anything to do necessarily with me. I mean, it had to do with me because I had to accept Jesus and once I accepted Jesus as my Savior and Lord, and I meant it sincerely, then, then it's up to God. God pours out His Spirit into me. Yes, that's true. But do we have anything to do with it? Absolutely. How open are we to the Spirit pouring into us? How open are we to allowing the Spirit to not only live in us, but to dwell in us and thrive in us? How open are we to allowing the Spirit to direct us? How often are we seeking the Spirit and His guidance in everything we do? You might say of me or of others any number of things about my history. If you knew that I was in business, you might say, wow, he had a lot of leadership experience or my time in human resources, well, he must know something about people. He's filled with knowledge. He's filled with experience. And whatever else we might say about people. But do we today talk regularly not just those who are considered charismatic or Pentecostal, but do we, all Christians, do we talk about being filled to the point of fullness with the Spirit of God? And what does that look like? Do we make decisions depending on evidence of the fullness of the Spirit in us? Decisions even as mundane as running some of the typical jobs of a church. Do we think of that? Does that regularly play into our decision making? John records in, in both chapters 14 and 15 
Jesus says he's going to pour out the Spirit. God would pour out the Father, would pour out the Spirit once Jesus had gone so that we'd have an advocate with us and he would guide us into all truth. How many of us wrestle with questions? How many of us grapple with decisions? How many of us struggle to know what the will of God is? And yet we're told that, that we will have the Spirit living in us and we will be filled with His Spirit. How many of us say, come Holy Spirit? How many of us wait before we move forward? until we know we are filled with the Holy Spirit. How many of us regularly ask in our prayers, Lord, fill me up with Your Spirit. Come alive in me with Your Spirit. May I be more and more of a home for Your Spirit to the degree so much so that, that others would be, it'd be obvious to them I wouldn't have to tell them. They would know simply by being around me. He's filled with the Spirit. What an opportunity. What an opportunity to demonstrate what the kingdom looks like by focusing on one thing. God, fill me with Your Spirit. Your living, active Doing your work, Spirit. Fill me with your Spirit. If that's the primary task, how much else gets worked out? How many of the other things that we spend so much time wondering and thinking about and mulling over and strategizing gets worked out? Because the God of all creation, the God of everything, His Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead, comes and lives in us and fills us. Well, fills us. I got long legs. Fills up my legs. Fills up my arms. Does he fill up my head? Does he fill up my brain? Does he fill up my decision making? Does he fill up my value choosing? Does he fill up my word speaking? Does he fill up my listening ear? Is He in charge of me? Does He emanate from me? Do people come away wondering, man, what is it about that guy? Well, maybe. <laughs> Just making sure you're not entirely asleep. Yeah, maybe we wonder, well, well what is it with that guy? What's he full of? But I want to ask you again today, how full of the Spirit are we? If we were to have this same sort of thing, which we're coming to, by the way, I'll be speaking of that, I don't know when, when the Lord leads me, probably in the next few weeks or a month or so. But we'll be talking about leadership in the church and the needs of leadership in the church and how we go about filling those it's not politicking, I can promise you. Not if we do it this way. But we can't do it this way unless we commit, each of us, to going about 
choosing leaders this way. And we can't commit to doing it this way unless there are people among us that are filled with the Holy Spirit. And I don't mean that critically. I don't. I mean that as an invitation. I mean that as a challenge. But I mean that as, well, look around you. Imagine the people who aren't here with us today. Look around. And if I asked you the question and handed you a secret ballot and I had a locked box with a little tiny slot in it and I said we need to elect seven people who are full of the Spirit. Good reputation, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. Would you know the second one? Would you know if we are filled with the Spirit? We should. We should know each other that well. And in fact, if we're filled with a spirit who just bursts out of the seams, it ought to be obvious to those outside as well as those inside. This is how we begin to let people know what the kingdom looks like. The radically different, totally unlike any other kingdom. The kingdom we believe would be a blessing to anyone. There's nothing worth more. Nothing. There's nothing worth more than will ever come close. No thing can compare. You are our living hope. Your presence. What are we speaking of? What are we singing of? The Holy Spirit. Nothing is more important. Nothing is more valuable. Imagine what impact it would make on any church. And our church. If we had an election of leaders. And we had more than enough to choose from. That were filled with the Holy Spirit. Full. Full to overflowing. That's our opportunity. Given to every one of us. Lord, we invited you to come and be with us. We invited you to come. And we believe that you are here. We believe that you empower us. By the personal. Living inside us. Spirit of yours, your spirit living in us. Your limitless spirit. Your spirit who, who has all wisdom and all power.